Welcome to my podcast, Everyday Sublime. I'm your host, Josh Summers, and I'm really glad you're here today. So a little bit of housekeeping before I continue my final installment with Locke Kelly. As I've been mentioning in the previous episodes, today's episode is the last episode where I'll be releasing short-form segments of longer-form interviews. Going forward, I'll just record one long-form interview and release that in total in the podcast. Uh, Two weeks after that release, there will be a follow-up short solo cast from me where I offer reflections and insights that I took away from my conversation and how how I think those takeaways might apply to your practice and teaching. So I hope that new structure will work for you, and please let me know what you think of it as we get going. Another shift I've made in light of the COVID-19 pandemic is in the access to my online courses and content. Terry and I are very committed to making our material as accessible as possible to people right now. And in an effort to do that, we have steeply discounted a bundle of our online courses, and we're calling that those four courses, the Sublime Quartet. Normally, each course of the quartet sells for about $125, but we'll be offering all four of these courses together for a steep discount at $149. And those of you that have asked should know that these courses are the in-depth preparatory courses that students take prior to attending our live modules. They're each about eight to 10 hours each, and they cover the functional elements of yin yoga, yin meditation, traditional Chinese medicine, and yang yoga. But please hear me and really us on this next offer. We don't want finances to be a limiting factor for anyone. So if you're in financial distress and you're unable to afford the fee for these courses, we completely understand. And we simply ask that if you'd like access, please send us an email at info at yinyogaschool.com and we'll be happy to grant you access. This offer is inspired by the Buddhist concept of dana or generosity. And this is a practice from teachers to students and students to teachers that nurture, nurtures and nourishes the symbiotic relationship we, we have. And I can say from my own end, whether it's been when I was in graduate school, going to retreats at the Insight Meditation Society, or after graduate school when I went to a Burmese meditation center for a few months, In many of these times, I was the direct recipient of dana, that is generosity, from people I didn't even meet who made it possible for me to have access. So from my heart to yours, this is really an effort to pay things forward to you now when you need it most if you would like to have access. So please just let us know again at info at yinyogaschool.com and we'll be happy to extend you these courses for your support and practice right now. Okay, now for the final installment of my conversation with Locke Kelly. Locke, as I've been saying, is an author, meditation teacher, a psychotherapist, and founder of the Open Hearted Awareness Institute. And what I really appreciate about Locke is that his mission is to help people access awakening, real awakening, as the next natural stage of their human development. This is not for monks and nuns in caves somewhere in Asia. This is for everyday people in everyday situations to really taste and experience their innate awakened being. 
In this episode, Locke and I continue to explore the direct experience of shifting out of your small, thought-based identity into your already available awareness-based being. Here, Locke also explains the relationship between two distinct neural structures in the brain, that is the default mode network and the task-positive network. The default mode network is the one that's activated when we tend to be just thinking about ourselves, so it's sometimes referred to as self-referential network. And the task-positive network gets activated when we are really, as it says, focused on a specific task. That could be cooking, that could be running, that could be focusing on your breath. That's the kind of uh, activity that engages the task-positive network. And here you will hear how some of the recent neuroscience is showing how non-dual mindfulness, that's the style of meditation that Locke teaches, but you'll hear how non-dual mindfulness harmonizes and balances these two networks, priming your mind and brain for greater creativity and access to flow. So without further ado, I now once again bring you Locke Kelly. In your organization, the Open Hearted Awareness Institute, you're involved yeah. in doing some of the re- current research on yeah. meditation and the brain. And um, you, in your book, you talk about this and, and bring to light some stuff that I hadn't been aware of. Um, one of the people involved in your in your institute is Judson Brewer, who mm-hmm. I know it actually will be on my next guest on the podcast. Oh, great! But um, he he sort of shot to. To, to the, into the limelight around his work on looking at long-term meditators and fMRI tubes and seeing yeah. what, is their, what is their brain activity like when they're relaxing and what's their activity mm-hmm. like when they're actually doing specific kinds of meditation and showing yep. the neural correlates to those practices. And yep. that's where uh, phrases like the default mode network and the task-positive network mm-hmm. started coming into popular mm-hmm. conversation. Can you just give me a thumbnail on each of those different networks and then sure. get, get into talking about how different meditation styles uh, show up in terms of the activity of the brain? Yes, sure. Um, yeah, I've been in one uh, fMRI with Judge in Judd's research. It was actually a real-time fMRI machine at Yale. So you literally can see um, when your um, uh, PCC, which is your post um uh, which is your um, the part of your brain in the frontal lobe that self-references um, when and, it's uh, when it goes off. And when you say self-referencing, does that is my understanding layman's understanding of that is that yeah. when you think about yourself and yeah, how you are, where you're doing, what you should be doing, what you didn't do, what you got to be doing, that self-referential chatter is this activity of the PCC posterior cingulate cortex. Yes, posterior cingulate cortex, um, and that. So it, it's a very, it's not just thinking, it's that looping of thought on thought that creates a small self. Like, oh my God, I can't believe I had to do that. Oh, I better not do that. What's wrong with me? Oh, what are they thinking? I'm thinking this. So it's this creation of a small separate self that is um, anxious and worried and uh, going to the past memory to project worst case scenarios into the future. Anybody, anyone identify with that? <laughs> so, so, so that that's not that doesn't need to be normal. That doesn't, that doesn't have to be happening. That's a particular habit pattern, and hap, you know that particular activity seems to be a part of the brain is involved with that. And in this real time fMRI, we could 
turn it on and turn it off, and it would show as going blue when it was off and going red when it was on. That but, was but kind of be, interesting by doing certain practices. Yeah, I was going to say, to be clear, to turn it on and off, it's the advanced meditator who's doing certain practices that's activating or deactivating, right? Yeah, well, this one, actually, you could do like a good meditator almost as a basic meditator could do it. So, so if you do one-pointed meditation, um, watching your breath, if you're a good shamatha or um, <clears throat> one-pointed meditator, you can turn off your PCC. In fact, that's one of the things that calm abiding, peaceful abiding, one-pointed meditation uh, is trying to do and does, and it's why you feel calm. So, um, <clears throat> so there's these two two modes that, in terms of talking about task, positive mode and default mode networks. So, and when uh, you fo- when someone focuses on their br- on their breath or yeah. focuses on a body sensation or does a count or mantra yeah. practice, they're mantra. engaged in a task. That's right. And that and and as I understood it, the 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 relationship between the task positive network, the network yes. that's involved in getting you to focus and dial in on that task. That has a quies- or a calming, quieting effect on the default mode network, in that those two networks are inversely activated. One, if one is activated, the other one goes quiescent. If the other one is right. activated, the other one goes quiescent. Um, and it, in my, you know, in my conversations with 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 meditations, med- mindfulness folks, they always cite this and say, well, if you if you do an open practice and you relax and you're allowing your thoughts, you're just going to be uh, spinning your default mode network and, and proliferating your your anxiety and neurosis. Whereas mm-hmm. there, there's kind of this idea we got to t- completely silent that to be a, a happy, well-rounded right. person and only engage in the task positive network. Right. But I'm, 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 I'm setting you up because I know you have this, <laughs> yes. thir- this third third middle way, which I want you to get to. <laughs> yes, because it doesn't sound sound too good. It sounds like we've We've carried the the Puritan work ethic into the into its next logical extreme, right? If you're like keep that task positive network on and just yeah. focus, and literally people who are workaholics and people who just get up, and go to work, and go home, and like you know that's what they're doing is they they literally if you're doing keep yourself busy, you know keep yourself busy, um, you know is some form of keeping this one mode on and not going to daydream or um, <clears throat> or worry or, or self-referencing. It's not just um, keep yourself busy. It's keep yourself busy, but mindfully. So well, like you, you have your whole well, list of tasks, you, and then you, you have to do it actually, mindfully. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, actually, you don't have to be mindful. In fact, one-pointed, one-pointed attention is not mindful. So mindful is one step up, is you, that you're mindful that you're you're focusing on your breath. <laughs> so you're mindful that thoughts, feelings, and sensations are coming and going. If you're, if you're just a worker bee, your, your um, PCC will go, go away if you know how to just concentrate on anything. So somebody who's a good concentrator can stop their self-referencing, hmm. and they do. Um, so, but let's, let's go to the um, third way. So the the well, let's yeah. Even to say that. So this is this is the you know the movement from deliberate mindfulness, which has two practices. One is really emphasizes one pointed concentration. Then there's like a <clears throat> a version of that. Well, just be aware of your breath and your mind wanders. Don't worry about it. Just come back. So there's there's a 
a strict form, like don't let it wander, really learn to concentrate. Then there's the same practice, but a little more like, oh, just let it wander until it doesn't. And, you know, just keep coming back. Just keep, you know, no big deal. Don't judge yourself. Just, and there you're starting to move into, okay, don't let the judging mind come back. Don't let the PCC come back, even when you're starting to go into default mode. Um, and then the next main practice in deliberate mindfulness is uh, the four foundations of mindfulness. So you establish a mindful witness of internal content, and then you watch um, the four foundations are thoughts, feelings, sensations, and mind objects. And you realize, oh, they're not a solid se sense of self in there. They're just changing. They're coming and going. They're arising and passing. Even the thought, I am not meditating well, is a thought that's coming and going, even though it starts with I. It's, <laughs> and there's a feeling of like, oh, I should try harder. I don't like that. That's a feeling that's arising to whom? To this mindful witness. So that's the next group of people that do more of the four foundations. Would, that, would you call that a kind of open monitoring practice? As, yes. As, as, a, as, a, right. as a catchphrase for, for, no, for the four foundations. You're, you're openly monitoring whatever's arising moment to moment in your experience. That's right. Yeah. So those are the two main uh, focused attention, FA and open monitoring, OM, are, are two of the ways to talk about that. Um, and then this third, so, so what happens when you do focused attention is you repress the default mode network, you, you put on the task mode network, it calms the PCC, but it shuts down all of the other um, dimensions of creative thinking and um, more complex uh, functions. Synergistic thinking with, of the default yes. mode. I mean, that's this is the thing. I mean, and I think I'm a living uh, kind of a case study of this. Where <laughs> okay. I, I, I got really good at Burmese note. Right. Like every for, you know, on a retreat, from the moment you wake up to the moment you go to sleep, you're making a mental note of whatever is yes. most predominant in your experience. You become a so. meditative, mindful robot. Yes. And you get very quiet and calm. Yes. But there's a sense of lifelessness. It's just bloodless living. That's it. <laughs> right. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, so that so that you know, so the noting practice is interesting. Would you call that open monitoring? Yeah, I would. Yeah, so that's a that's a next phase. That's a little more advanced form, but it's still a task. It's kind of like looking at internal contents. So what happens is you're repressing, either robotizing by making this living from this meditator or this observing ego, really this self, what's called in psychology, self-awareness, which is a split off. Um, interestingly, it was called that by psychology that you're able to realize, oh, I want to get some ice cream. Oh, I don't know if you should really get some ice cream. Well, who's the you and who's the I in that situation? So it's, it's that development that literally happens at one and a half to three year old in kids. You develop this self-awareness or this commentator or this noter that notes what you're feeling and makes a decision. And that's uh, what happens is it represses the internal content. And so you get calm. But as soon as you get off the cushion, you either have to do the noting all the time, which keeps you in a like having horse blinders on and makes you feel cold and 
detached, like a detached witness, or even dissociated it's, too, or dissociated. Yeah, yeah, that you're you're dissociated from your body and from the the flavor of life. <coughs> and so um, there's a, a researcher Zoran Josipovic from uh, NYU who did a a study with myself and some other more Tibetan style meditators who do this. Um, effortless mindfulness and what we do is just go into these practices um, where you open your awareness to that field of awareness that's equally aware inside and out so when you're aware from the awareness that you're not concentrating but you've opened to rather than closed down to and then that awareness is aware of thoughts, feelings, and sensations inside of your breath, of the environment outside, then what happens is the, de- is the default mode and task mode network balance. And the feeling is, oh, there's a interconnection or unity consciousness or kind of this evenness um, and kind of a bubbling joy, like a little bliss and a little like freedom, like you're out playing as a kid. So the feeling is like, you know, it's like sometimes I've had people say, um, it's like waking up on the first day of summer vacation as a kid. You know, you just feel like, oh, I can kind of do anything. Like I could do something inside, I could do something outside. I don't have to do anything. But you just feel this like freedom from the judging mind, from, and you you realize that 99% of stuff that's arising, or actually I think it's 85% is is what's called, um, you know, automatic thinking. It's just, you don't need to note it. Just let it go by. Just mm-hmm. let it go into the background. It's the same every day, 85% of, and, and so why, why are you going to mess with it? So just let it go, and then stay like in this soft, open-hearted, and you, you feel like you drop it you know, from head to heart, mind, and you feel more embodied and soft and uh, even. It's it's the feeling, I call it, balanced awareness or ground of being. Well, yeah. You, yeah, you feel safe, you feel, you feel like a Tai Chi master because you're actually functionally able to be totally relaxed. And if you needed to move or jump out of the way of a car coming, you know, on the curb, you just jump out of the way. Right. And as I'm listening to you, I'm also an acupuncturist. And, okay. and it sounds like you're describing this particular form of meditation, non-dual mindfulness, yes. seems to facilitate harmonization of neural yin and yang yes, networks of the brain. Um, and leads to, and this is, uh, you, you talk about this in, in effort, Way of Effortless Mindfulness, the idea of flow. Yes. That this... Being able to recognize that aspect of your awareness and its effect on your neural circuitry seems to set up the mindset for flow independent of whatever right. activity you're engaged with. So normally, most you know, people think they have to get into flow by going for That's a run right. or getting yeah. into a deep flow state of music or, or athletics or whatever it is. But it actually can be primed, which I think yep. you're getting at. It can be primed through the practice and then whatever you're whether you're cooking, you're cleaning your toilet, shaving... Yep. There's a, there's a flow state within that. Yeah, and and just feel that you know. So there's the premise. The premise is this is, you know, that's the secular 
uh, studied version of that's part of what awakened consciousness feels like is flow or being in the zone. And it's a panoramic flow, not an absorbed flow. So it's not, there's like a, fl a flow state that you get so involved in an activity that you lose yourself. You look up two hours later, but you were doing something. This is more of the, um, you know, walking in nature, uh, dancing, you know, kind of feeling. Um, but that is, you can shift into that optimal mind that literally is creative and available in minutes and then do anything you want. And it, it's, it's so enjoyable and highly functional. It's not like a couch potato. It's not like, um, you know, like sitting in a retreat and having to not do anything in a retreat and then go do a lot of things from the ego. Yeah, it, it, I mean, my limited experience with it, 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 it feels like the products that come out of that, that state are, are just always better, <laughs> better mm -hmm. products, whether it's an email yes. or whatever it is. They're always, they always sort of hit, hit the nail on the head much, much more directly and are more sort of situationally appropriate um, than not. Yes. Yeah, so this this is you know this is the amazing thing, and and the, in the uh, that this seems to be kind of the next possible stage of human development that we have this capacity, that we've trained our knowledge based mind to remember facts and do tasks, and now can we, you know, drop from head to heart and be in this more loving, but um, active way of being together and in the world before i let you go related to what they found in the tube with with people doing this non-dual mindfulness you spoke about yep. brain frequencies yes and its, and its relationship to creativity yes so when there's this harmonization between the default <laughs> mode network and the task positive network Right. They, they were finding there was an increased generation of gamma waves. Is that correct? So, so there's two measuring instruments. So the first study I talked about with Zoran was an fMRI, and that's looking at um, the 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 alternating between task positive mode and internal uh, default mode, and those balance. Then another study, more recent, uh, that was done. Um, that Judd was involved in, so you can ask him about that, um, was using the EEG machine, and that looks at uh, beta, alpha, gamma, delta. Um, so usually we're in beta, which is very active brain waves, and most, like one-pointed meditation, will take you from beta to alpha, which is calm. So then you're in a calm state, it's slower frequency, but when you do this effortless mindfulness style, you have some uh, alpha, but then you start to have synchronized gamma, which is like a joyful, creative, um, connected mode where you, um, you know, which is like why people do, you know, try to do microdosing. Mm -hmm. You know, so the people, you know, like I know there's a whole culture in uh, Silicon Valley, they're doing microdosing to try to get this creativity. And so my two cents is let's do micro meditations rather than microdosing. <laughs>
Yeah, and actually, that's maybe a good point to close on because you, in your approach, you're not advocating that people sit on a cushion and 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 grind away for hours a day. It's no. you, you 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 have a very in the world, everyday no. kind of approach, which which yes. advocates, I think, sort of punctuated periods of time where you just prime yourself or or, or to point mm-hmm. yourself into recognizing this open spacious awareness. Which I think you say helps rewire other patterns of yes. the brain to, to sort of make that more of a stabilizing default operating system from which you're functioning. Is that right? That's right. Yes. It becomes more the new normal. And, you know, it shows up in in this kind of synchronized gamma um, and your neuronal network will begin to embody. It's part of the embodiment of it. So the yin and the yang energies balance and and you feel yeah more joyful and um easily you can access it more easily and then it becomes more the everyday background awareness and and then if you get triggered by something you kind of can immediately be more resilient and come back to it and um and it's a whole different way of living i mean it's 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 actually it's just stunning to you know and my whole project has been oh my god I've got. I've discovered this unique um, jewel. Let's make it modern, contemporary. Uh, how do you share it? How do you communicate it? How do you teach it? Um, democratize it. How do you democratize it? I want to make it a non-guru, educational style uh, in the world. I live in New York City. I do these practices on the subway. You know, um, you don't need to be in in a retreat center and it's actually more fun, you know, to be in the world. I still go, you know, hang out in nature. I like that, but you know, I like living with different cultures and creative people. And so um, there's these small glimpses many times of the day. So once you knew, you learn the basic, just like learning the basics of yoga or learning the basics of deliberate mindfulness takes the same amount of time. It's unique in the beginning because it isn't, you know, with with yoga and deliberate mindfulness, it's like, okay, bring your attention to your breath. Okay, I know what attention is. I know what breath is. Okay, in yoga, put your left foot out, you know, two feet in front, put your right foot at a 45-degree angle. Okay, I know what my feet are, and I know what 40, you know, let me do that. But this is like unhook your awareness from thinking and have it know your jaw from within. It's like, what are you talking about? Yeah. It's like, but it literally, you know, if you take it step by step and try it, then you're like, oh, okay, that's not that hard. It's actually easy. It's just new. Mm-hmm. And once you learn how to do it, you go like, wow, I didn't even realize I could do that, or that was even something worthwhile doing or possible. But now that I do it, wow, it totally changes everything. I've decentered from the small self, and now I've found a new, more safe feeling of that uh you know tai chi master is trying to find great 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 stuff <laughs> and, and and this this podcast is called everyday sublime oh and, nice. and i have to say your teaching and, and work has really enhanced my access to everyday sublime so i hope it i hope it uh, proves to be the case for our listeners and um Locke, i just want to thank you for your time and uh, generosity in coming on the show today You're so welcome, Josh. So great to be with you and uh, take good care.
Okay, that concludes my series with Locke. I hope you enjoyed the exposure to his wonderful work. For more on Locke Kelly's teachings, please check out his website, www.lockkelly.org, and also his great book, The Way of Effortless Mindfulness. Links for both of those are in the show notes. And I'm super excited also to share that in the next episode, I'll be interviewing one of the researchers that Locke and I were just talking about, Dr. Judson Brewer. Dr. Judson Brewer is a psychiatrist, a neuroscientist, a meditator, and an addiction expert. And we'll be talking about the relationship between reward-based learning and addiction and how mindfulness is the key to freedom. I really look forward to sharing that conversation with you. And until next time, I wish you a safe refuge in place. Take care, be safe, and I'll see you in the next episode.